Welcome to Talking Trope. Where's my super trope? What? Where's my super trope? Uh, yeah, we're doing uh, we're doing Incredibles. We're doing both we're of the, doing the Incredibles. The Incredibles movies. They're incredible. Yeah. Um. I, <laughs> no. No real like uh, you know specific trope that we want to dial in on with this one. We just sort of want to talk about you know this particular film, the impact that it's had, the tropes that it embodies, and uh, you know how it transitioned f- from the the original to the sequel over the course of you know the ten, ten years, years in between. Yeah. yeah um... I mean, so I feel like I'm coming from, like, an interesting place culturally around The Incredibles. Because, right. like, like I enjoyed the first movie. Like, it's so quotable. It's super fun. But I never had, like, the, like, burning love for it that I feel like so many other people did. Um, sure. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I'm excited to sort of talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I, I I found that you know for my perspective, I, th- I think my perspective is is somewhat standard, um, which is that I I really really am passionately in love with the first movie, um, and it kind of hurt my viewing of the second uh, of the sequel because it just um, I'm not able to view it objectively uh, because I just have so much love for the original, and I think you can sort of trace that back to you know the things that I value, which I've I've expressed in this podcast multiple times. I like clear, well-defined characters, character arcs that come to a complete conclusion, and I like structure. Mm-hmm. These are the things that I care about, and I think the original has a lot of that, and the second one doesn't have any of that. The first movie has a ton of that. That was I, so like I just watched these two back to back again. Um, yes, and- me as well. <laughs> it's like really interesting to just see the difference between the two of them, you know? Right. I mean, it seems like they have two different, very different goals. It's like one is, um, you know, trying to make a movie about a family of superheroes Mm -hmm. and to make like a, almost like a parody of superhero like comics and TV shows. And then the sequel is like a commentary on the fact that now superhero movies are so, you know... Ubiquitous. Ubiquitous. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, I think, I will say, like, I always have a lesser opinion of the first movie in my head that completely vanishes whenever I actually watch it. When you watch it. Yeah, um, and I think also part of my increased enjoyment is that, like... I get it a little bit better now as an adult, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, like, a movie that it, it rewards a rewatch ten years later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereas I think that the the sequel is, you know, very much a, a family movie, like a kid's movie that, that anyone can get very accessible. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like, I, I think all of my least favorite parts of this movie as a kid are, like, things that I... Um, like they're just the very adult moments in it, you know. Did you like find them boring as a kid? Or not boring? Well, like a little bit boring, but a little bit frustrating, and I just didn't understand why someone would make a story about boring relationship drama when there's superhero <laughs> shit to get to, you know? <laughs> because the boring relationship drama is the most I important know. part. That's my favorite bit. I know. <laughs> It's a, you know, it just, I think that the original captured something very real um, about 
dysfunction and families and like leading a double life there was something mythic about it mm-hmm. where it, it sort of took the idea of you know a superhero is somebody who wears a mask and then what happens when they're forced to take, take off. off that mask yeah. and put it away and what happens is you get lies infidelity you know getting older all of these themes mixing together with like normal midlife crises and relationship problems. Right. And then the second one is like, well, what if the uh, the lady has to do the job <laughs> and the man has to raise the family? Very I love Lucy. Yeah. Remember remember I love Lucy? It's, Lucy, she goes she makes the chocolates in the chocolate factory, but it's too hard. It's so and then hard. the guys are like, Oh my god, how do we cook? It's impossible. <laughs> Children, what are those? I've well, I mean, they don't have any children know, in that but... show, but yeah, Speaking I mean, it's a, it's a role reversal. Yeah. Um, though I will say rewatching, uh, Incredibles 2, I was like, oh, yeah. is this just Civil War? I think it's just Civil it's, War. No, okay, I see that. I see that connection. Absolutely. Because the idea of like breaking the law to do what's right yeah. versus well, following the, the laws and signing an accord. Yeah. Yeah. It it was I was just like, "Oh, it's incredible civil war. Great. I love it." <laughs> Let's do it. Right. And and the the villain is very much like, you know, I'm trying to show the world that you are dangerous. Right. And like due to like a death of a loved one. Like it it really just is that. And I, it was a very fascinating. Well, that's interesting cuz I was thinking that it's basically just the same plot again, but without any of the conflict. Yes, as the I first would, one. I would agree to both of that because that was my initial. Um, that was my initial thought after I saw Incredibles two for the first time, like in theaters. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, why did they do the same movie over again? Um, well, because like they were trying to do like, well, it's a role reversal, and through the role reversal, we'll get a new story out of it. They did or, it. or at least we can trick they the just, audience into thinking there's a new story. They just mashed up Incredibles one, Civil War, and Spy Kids into one movie. And this is what we I got. was thinking Spy Kids too. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're really on the same page here. <laughs> yeah, in, the, in like the last third of the movie, like the the two. Like, superhero parents are kidnapped, mm-hmm. and then the kids have got to team up, and they're bickering. Well, they've got a baby. But, you know, eventually they come together, and they save their parents. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's just, like, it, like I think that points to the messiness of the movie, though, that we can be like, oh, it's part this movie, and part that movie, and part this thing. It's, like, it's bizarrely piecemeal. It doesn't have, like, a coherent... Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't think that that's, like, a, a negative in and of itself, I but guess. in this movie it definitely is. Yeah. Like... It just seems like Brad Bird was given 10 years to come up with a million ideas, and he wasn't able to pare it down and pick one right. one story to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so do you want to get into it and, and talk about some some tropes? Uh, yeah, let's let's sort of break it down. Um, one of the you know things in the first movie that I found really impactful was how it took superhero tropes and sort of flipped them on their head. Everybody is aware of the you know um, the no capes mm-hmm. monologue yeah. uh, that that <laughs> that Edna does, which it's I think classic. is just uh, hilarious. And then there's the running gag about monologuing. Um, there's a lot of like running gags about. Um, you know, them using their powers in really mundane, like, household ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all of those, like, types of things are totally absent from the sequel. Right. 
Like, there's just no, there's no jokes about superheroes or about family life. It's just, like, they're just telling the story that they're telling. Yeah. I, I mean, there's plenty of jokes in Incredibles, too, but I... Sure. I mean, it's just not, like, like the Pixar style of, like, blatant parody um, sure. that they would typically do. Where, like, you know, Monsters, Inc. is, like, this parody of, like, corporate culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you well, would have... Well, I think it was trying to be a, a parody of, like, celebrity culture a little bit, but with superheroes, which which sort of makes sense... Maybe. ...when we have, like, three-plus superhero movies coming out a year, you know? Um, where, right. like, these people are celebrities, and we do have people going, oh, my God, I love Thor, and, like, dedicate blogs to Thor, right. you know? I'll be honest, it's just kind of hard for me to identify, like, the comedy of Incredibles 2 and, like, to place it because there was really only one joke in the whole movie that I actually think is funny. Which one was that? Um, it's, like, right at the end where um, it's, like, the crusher guy has just, like, crushed <laughs> all of these pipes. And then Mr. Girl was like, can you uncrush? Uh-huh. He's like, you want me to uncrush? What, no one's ever asked for that? <laughs> what, should I ask you to unpunch something? <laughs> That is a good joke. Yeah, I was like, I get that. And then the rest of it was mostly, like, visual humor involving Jack-Jack and the the powers. Yeah. Which I had already seen before because I watched, you know, the first one. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, you know, had already seen the the animated short that came with the DVD where they also do a bunch of jokes about having powers and how it makes it difficult to watch the baby. Yeah. I mean... It's hard to build a movie around that. Yeah. Jack-Jack just has too many powers. Well, I don't... Like, that doesn't matter, like, how many powers they have. Like, each power is just a gag. Like, it doesn't have to have a point or, like, a significance to the plot. The thing is, it's just, like, it's not that funny. (laughs) It's, like... It's, like, why are Looney Tunes funny? It's not just because, like, violence is happening. It's typically because, like, one character's trying to accomplish something and the other one is in opposition to that. There's there's conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just have, like, a baby who's on fire. And that's the joke, is that, well, babies aren't supposed to be on fire. But the baby's never really in any danger or anything. Like, you, right. you're never really worried for it, and so there's no tension. Yeah. That's that's true. That that lack of tension, I think, is really palpable. Um, and like, oh God, they're just like bickering over like who's gonna watch the baby. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> all right, yeah. Let's get let's get let's get moving with it. Let's get rolling. Um, one thing that I noticed in both of these is there's a lot of runaway trains. Yeah, I mean it's it's a pretty easy like. But there's um, there's one in the first movie, but then there's two in Incredibles too. Like it opens with a runaway train. Well, there's the mo- the monorail, and, then and I was just thinking yeah. about the Simpsons, and it's like mono dope <laughs> just keeps crumbling down, like building a monorail in a city that gets occasionally attacked by giant robots. Uh, right. is like maybe not the best. <laughs> An above ground monorail so stupid um yeah but yeah there's a train crash in the original incredibles but um there's like a really like important reason for that one which is that it's supposed to establish like the limits of mr incredible's strength 
that he like winces and then the train hits him and it pushes him back like a specific um, like a specific amount of force. Distance. So you you like understand what the limits of his powers are. Mhm. Whereas like in Incredibles 2 it's just like these are some very clear understandable stakes. Um a train is going to crash with people in it. That's bad. Yeah. Um the 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 thing I found interesting about the the like big like mag rail thing like the big dramatic chase with uh with uh elastigirl uh-huh. is that like i don't understand why detaching the front tr- train car does anything i know why does that help i i'm not sure it was something that i like didn't pick up on in the first movie but then like or not the first movie my first time watching it um and then this time i was like wait a minute why wouldn't it just keep going <laughs> yeah exactly it's just it's just like she detaches it and suddenly it starts going like slower yeah which is not how that would work no because uh, that's the one that's pushing as far as i know yeah and if it's not the one that's pushing then it's like then, then what's the point matter. in detaching it anyway? Yeah, yeah. It's it's very odd. Maybe the idea is that it's like controlling the back, and the back is actually what's pulling it. Yeah, or, or I, I don't know. It's it sort of like drops down onto the tracks. So like maybe that's it. It's not like hovering anymore or whatever. Like. But why would it stop hovering? I don't know. It's just like a bad action scene. Like the the chase is good. Like with the yeah. bike. And then we lose the bike, and then it's like, all right, okay. well, guess, guess it's just over. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like this whole episode doesn't have to be just shitting on the, on the second movie. We could we could talk about like what I what I like about the first movie. Yeah, what are like, some tropes, tropes you that. you love in the first movie? I don't know. I'll, let's, we'll just go through like the whole movie basically, and and just talk about like the the character arcs is, is basically how it's gonna be. Sure. Um, because I, I like, you know, right in the beginning, the very first scene where we establish time period with, like, the use of film grain um, and these interviews, which are so good and oh, so packed with meaning. the interviews are great. Like, they feel so natural to, like, that, you know, interview format um, that we're just, like, talking to Mr. Incredible and he's just talking about, you know, hey, you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, you know, you feel like the maid. <laughs> I just cleaned this up. And it's very of the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just that trope of, like, being able to interview them and hear what their perspectives are and then to immediately see them, like, change and basically flip mm-hmm. uh, once the once the movie proper starts. Um, I, I guess one trope that this, um, that, that this movie fills is just having, like, too many openings, too many intro- introductions. Yeah, I I mean, I guess, because there's what? There's the interviews, then there's the, like, opening sequence leading up to the wedding. Yeah. Um, and then there's the post, like, hero era. Yeah, then there's a newsreel explaining exposition about how they, you know, lost the superhero stuff. And then immediately we have, like, the first scene at his job. In the current era. So, like, that's, like... Four different setups. Yeah, wow. Like, right in a row. But it does it really <laughs> cleanly. Like, 
That's the thing that I find so amazing about this script is that, like, despite it should be really messy, mm-hmm. but it feels really neat. Yeah. Maybe it's just in transitions. I think that's something Brad Bird has always been really good at is 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 handling transitions really well. Mm-hmm. Um. So like one scene leads right into the other. You know, we're superheroes. What could happen? Cut to you know, superheroes get shut down. Yeah. Um, the end of that newsreel. Where are they now? Here is average where they heroes are now. helping people the way that they know how. Right. Cut to he's in an office. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that's really like the strong point that that kind of ties it all together is just like being able to write the ends of scenes and the beginnings of scenes. It's very important. Yeah. I, well, and I th- <laughs> I think this movie is is a really good example of um, just like uh, I, I don't know, not transitions necessarily, but like or maybe it is just transitions. They're just really good at transition. Like every scene. Um, there's, like, a really good cut to, you know? Yeah, there's always, like, multiple things going on in mm-hmm. the movie. Um, and a lot of times, Brad Bird will use, like, like simultaneous action in, like, a really strong way. I think, like, the best example of that is, like, the big uh, climax in, the, um, the, in like the, the midway point of the movie where, um, like, Helen is wondering where Bob is. Bob is, like, looking through this computer and, like, seeing the evil plan is being revealed. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just cutting back and forth between them um, while, like, secrets are being revealed. Yeah. And it all climaxes when she hits that button and, like, suddenly he's caught. Yeah, and then that that getting caught scene is just beautiful. Um, Yeah, it's very, very fast-paced editing. And, like, you don't think mm -hmm. about editing as much in animated movies, but, like, I absolutely think about editing in this one. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, And you feel the desperation. So was there, like, a reason, really, that, like, you you weren't, like, hot on this movie, um, you know, in your memory? Like, like, was something just not standing out or, like, the themes don't really grab you or what is it? I think in general, I'm really bored by films that, like, center on, like, I don't love marital dramas. <laughs> like, they're, they're, just, they're just not my favorite in general. Like, I totally get why they exist. And, like, that's not to say I don't like all marital dramas. Um, but just, like... They're never super my favorite, and especially, I, I also don't like lying. <laughs> like movies. That makes sense. Yeah, where, I guess. I the, guess if your if your issue is with deception and storytelling, yeah. this movie is literally about lying. Yeah. So I like, mean, that is the fundamental part of it. Like that's, it just generally in storytelling, I I tend to like stories where the entire problem of a character can be solved by someone just like telling the truth. I I just kind of hate that cuz it's like, well, then I why guess are that we makes here? sense, but it it works for me when it's motivated that a character wouldn't want to tell the truth. Like in this case right. where, you know, 
the if he tells the truth, like Helen might leave him. Like <laughs> there is definitive consequences no, to I, him here's the thing. telling I don't, the truth. I don't think she would leave him though. Like that's the whole point. But he thinks that she would. I know. Like like that's why I think on a rewatch it bothered me a lot less. Um And also, like, the way he treats her, like, in my mind, I just always think of her being like, he's cheating on me, and like, blah, 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 and that takes up, like, the bulk of the movie in my head, but, like, really, that's a very small (laughs) section of it, you know? It's like... Yeah, she basically, yeah, it's literally, she finds the hair on his clothes, mm -hmm. then immediately there's the scene where she picks up the phone... And he's on the phone with Mirage. Uh-huh. Um, and then she has her, like, scene where she's, like, meekly going, like, I love you. Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, I, I love you, too. But, like, he um, genuinely then, does. Like, like in my memory, that scene is always, like, him being like, yeah, huh, bye, babe. But, like, he turns back to her and is like, I love you, too. Like, he gives her a nice look, like, of course I love you. Yeah, but um, he just doesn't understand what's going no. through her head, no, which is, you know, that she thinks definitively that he, he, she's decided that he's lying to her about something. She doesn't mm-hmm. know exactly what, but. Right. Um, and then she, she calls the insurer care. They're like, no, he doesn't work here. She goes to Edna because she knows that. So she goes to Edna before calling insurer care, but yeah. No, no, no. She does. The insurer care first. She goes to Edna because she sees the tear in the suit. And then while she's there, she says, I know where he is. And then she goes, do you know where she is, where he is? And then she calls insurer care and they're like, he's been fired yeah. for two months. Okay. I know this movie front to back. Does I'm she sorry. call insurer care at Edna's? Does, yeah, at does Edna's. Does she do it at Edna's? Okay, okay. Cause, yep. cause and then it I, cuts to her crying and Edna giving her the tissues and, and going, my God, pull yourself together. Yes. <laughs> Which okay. is just, uh, just my favorite Edna scene um, of uh, all. She's you will You will remind him who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Edna's such a great character. Like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, like, she's just, like, a parody, you know, a pretty, like, straightforward parody of, like, fashion, high fashion culture. Oh, yeah. But done through this lens of, like, James Bond designing gadgets for the, you know, mm-hmm. for the hero. Um, and also just having this close, like, familial, like, auntie relationship yeah. with the family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting that she never interacts with... Um, with Dash or Violet, though. That's interesting to me. Yeah. That she's like this family friend that they never meet. That is very true. We've never seen her interact with them, even in the second movie. Like, she hangs out with yeah. Jack-Jack, but... But, yeah. Um, one thing that I did want to talk about, like, specifically, is just the, the tokenism, the sequel tokenism, which I don't know if that's, like, a trope on TV tropes, but the idea of, like, you have to do all the things that they did in the first movie, but again this time. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, your example of that besides a train? Like, like Edna, like does she doesn't really play like a significant role in this story. She's like a babysitter who builds like a tracking device that gets destroyed two scenes later. Yeah. Um, that could have been like written out pretty easily and like shortened the movie up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know she's just kind of there because we got to see Edna. We got to see what she's getting up to. Well, I I don't know. I feel like. Part of Mr. Incredible's arc, 
Um, well, so, like, his arc in the first movie is that he works alone, and then at the end of the movie, he's like, no, I work with my family. Like, I can ask for help and, like, be honest. Yeah? Is that... Basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a little simplifying it, because it's it's also about sort of, like, right. the idea that he has two lives, mm-hmm. two identities, and then he co- collapses them into one singular identity. Sure. Um, I, I, I think that's it, too, but, but I think... Um, the, the learning to work with other people is like a big part of it. Um, and then that's what, that's why I think you and I both get the vibes that the second one is retreading a lot of what the first one did, but just like the roles are swapped, um, is because, well, I mean, I just don't think that the second one has any arcs in it. Yeah. None. Well, I mean, I'm I'm open to hearing them. I just like my brain can't latch onto them for some reason because I just I can't see them. Like, what do you, what is like Helen's arc in? Like, you know what her arc is in the first movie? It's she she's a passive housewife character. She has to learn to be active and to you know ask for what she wants and to be honest with herself and you know like you know get back out there basically. Right. Stop being passive. And then what is it in like the second movie? What is her arc in the second movie? See, I I don't know that she has one in the second movie. Um, right. But I, I think... mean, like, I think what they're trying to set up is the conflict of, like, I don't want to commit crimes, but I do want to be a superhero. Oh, I know what it is. They do. There's literally, like, two lines in the whole movie about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's And I think it's the same one as the first movie where she has to learn to let her family go that they can survive without her and blah, blah, blah. But, like, it's not really set up that she's so integral to, like, shit getting done, you know? It's that that she's overprotective? But, like, no, she's not really overprotective. Like, it's not set up that. It's just, like, I don't think Bob can handle it, and the kids are crazy. And then at the end, they're like, you go right. save the day, Mom. We've got it. And she's like, "Oh, thanks, kids. Love you, Bob. That's right. There was that one line where they're like, go finish your mission. Yeah. We've got this. Yeah. And it's like, was that her arc? Like, that she just didn't trust Bob enough? I mean, it didn't affect her actions in any way. No. She let Bob watch the kids. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Like, her arc is not... Like, there's that beginning and the ending, but they just forgot to put anything in the middle that makes any sense. Right. Um, I think... Whereas, you know, in Incredibles 1, she starts out being completely dismissive of, like, being a hero, and by the end, she, you know, is fighting alongside Bob and, and, you know, with the kids and everything. Yeah. And she's no longer, you know, the kind of passive person just going, like, love you, Bob. Hope you're not cheating on me to the person <laughs> yeah. who would actually go and track him down and like, you know, help him out and fight alongside him because right. they're superheroes mm-hmm. and that's what they do. Right. And and I think it, it sort of goes back to her like superhero interview reel at the beginning where she's like, well, we can't leave all the heroing to the men, can we? Um, and then like, here she is doing that and she does, right. she steps up at the end of the movie. Um, right. And, you know, Bob, in, in his initial interview, is saying, you know, I, sometimes I want to leave behind the rat race and just raise a family. But that's not really what he wants. Right. He wants to, you know, he wants to have the glory and the family. Mm-hmm. He wants to have both. The best of both worlds. Yeah. And he and gets, it. He gets it. <laughs> uh, And then in the second one, he's stuck with dealing with that family. Womp womp. 
Well, like, they're trying to make an arc for him, and I'm just, like, I'm having so much trouble g- grabbing hold of it. Yeah. It's, like, it's like slipping through my finger fingers, Bob's arc in, in Incredibles 2. Mm-hmm. Well, and because here's the thing. It's, it's, like, three different arcs that, like, they're trying to have uh-huh. simultaneously. And honestly, like, compared to... Bob and Incredibles 2, Bob and Incredibles 1 is like a paragon of husbandship, you know, like (laughs) his just like inability to say, I'm happy for you, honey, is like poison to my soul, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, so that's like what it's supposed to be, right? Like they're setting up his ego is the problem in this movie. Like, his ego's a pretty big problem in the first movie, but it's more the fact that he has an alter ego, that he's got, you know, his self and then his superhero self, and he can't uh, reconcile these two different sides of himself. Mm-hmm. But in the second one, it's just like, he is full of himself. And he thinks that he but can do anything and can do everything. They don't carry any of the, like... Here's the thing. I think that... Bob having a problem with Helen going off to be, like, the face of superheroes right now is totally fine as a, like, plot arc. I think the reasons they have him be upset about it don't make a lot of sense with the character growth that we saw from him in the last movie. You know, like... Yeah, I mean, that's pretty standard for Pixar sequels. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, so, like, specifically, at the end of Incredibles 1, when they're, like, about to fight the giant robot, he's like, no, you can't come with me. And she's like, what the fuck, Bob? Why? And he's like, because I can't lose you again. Like, I'm not strong enough because I'll be really sad if my wife and family die, and I know that now. Um, Which is really powerful. But then, like, that's not a problem at all in the second movie, which... Supposedly. Well, that's good. I mean, that does show growth. It's just, like, the interesting thing to me is, like, he just, he learned nothing about, like, the glory-seeking. Right. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. I thought what he learned in the first movie was that, partially, that it wasn't about the glory. It was just about, you know, doing what he does best and sharing that with his family. But apparently, no. He just really wants the glory still and, like, in a big way. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> Oh, Mr. Incredible. And, like, um, you know, <clears throat> that's sort of supposed to be baked into this idea that he's, um, you know, he thinks it'll be easy to raise the family because he's Mr. Incredible and he's good at everything. He always knows what's right. And then he has trouble with, with the fact that it's actually difficult to raise the family. So his ego and his inability to accept failure in himself is, like, set up pretty well in the first half of the movie. It just doesn't right. go anywhere no, at all. Nowhere. We literally get to he has a scene where he's talking to Violet. Well, I guess you could argue is the scene where he's talking to Violet him accepting failure or is it him just whining that it should be easier? Which scene with Violet? The scene where he's like like half asleep, he's just left uh Jack-Jack with Edna and He's like, Violet, I want to say something to you. Um, you know, I know I messed things up with Tony. And I just, I'm used to always knowing what's right. But, you know, I feel like a terrible father. Mm. And then she goes like, no, Dad, you're super. <laughs> uh, 
The second movie's just so corny, where, like, the first one, like, earned all of its, like, sappy moments. Like, the second one just sort of has them. You know? Yeah, but, I mean, is that, like, is that the culmination of his arc at that point? And then it's just, like, upsetting that it doesn't get to fit within the climax at no. all. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's sad when, you know, you don't get to see the, the, the ultimate effects of a character arc in the climax, which is what Incredibles 1 Does did really so well. well. Yeah, I think going just going back to what you were saying with Mr. Incredible um, looking at all the, like, killed supers um, while, like, Edna is talking to Helen about where is Bob... Um, and sort of, like, the dual building of tension throughout those scenes. Um, yeah. Like, there's nothing like that in Incredibles 2. It's just a bunch of different scenes put together in an order. <laughs> you know? I mean, you could argue... I feel like there's some scenes that kind of line up, but there's just not a, a heavy reliance on simultaneous action. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, like, that's definitely true. Um... Do you want to talk about like uh, family movie cliches and 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 tropes? Sure. Things like the the are we there yet scene in the first movie. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's definitely a lot of those um, throughout both of these films. Um, you know, like the arguing around the dinner table. I'll turn this. Yeah. <laughs> I'll turn this the, plane around. Don't don't read at the table. The 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 dash. You know, getting sent to the principal's office mm-hmm. and you know. Violet liking a boy and, you know, hiding. Right. Like, it's very, it's a lot of cliche, but it's used very well, I think, to establish character arc. Totally. Um, for, for each of them. Yeah, and I Whereas think... Whereas I think there's there's the same use of cliche in the second movie in, like, all of Bob's homemakerings. Right. Where he's like, math is hard, hope it with homework. Why'd they change math? Like, that was in all the trailers, you know? Like, <laughs> right. this man doesn't know how to care for a baby, and math is different now. Hilarious. Yeah. At one point, he literally says to Edna, like, I bought the wrong batteries, <sighs> and I forgot to get eggs. And it's like, like this is not even the hard part of, parenting. of, of being a, a homemaker. No. It's just the parts that, like, it's funny that, like, to think, like, men can't do it, but women can, like... Yeah. It's funny that like men are you know incapable of being good parents, uh, which it's not just for all those people listening. <laughs> um, Obviously, yeah. I, well, but the joke is always that like the the fa- like the father underestimates what the mother goes through, but like um, and it used to be that like also the mother underestimates what the father goes through in the workplace mm-hmm. um, and has to face that you know p- issue. But, you know, I think because of the story that they're trying to tell and they're trying to show, you know, an empowering message that you you can't really have that. So Helen just doesn't have an arc. (laughs) Yeah, I I really think, like, that's just not an arc that, like, modern audiences would be interested in at all. Is a woman, like, going to work and being like, wow, honey, your job is hard. I was so wrong. (laughs) I mean, I think that is an arc that can be done today. It's just... It it needs to be handled very carefully. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, honestly, no. Like, I guess the role reversal aspect of it isn't interesting anymore because all people occupy all roles in society well, now. Well, well, I would say this. I'd say women occupy more roles in society, but it's still, I think, pretty rare for men to be 
like the primary caretaker or home homemaker. Um, um, I mean, that's like it's it's definitely less common, but more so just because you're you're more into dual income households now. Sure. Like the idea that there even has to be like a permanent homemaker is very silly. Sure. Um, or, or maybe not silly, but just it's just not. Um, it's not a requirement anymore. Right, in modern life. <coughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, like... like, I mean, if... Y- there are, like, you know, stay-at-home dads, of course, but, like, the need for that has diminished significantly due to, like, you know, increases in childcare and the need for a two-income household. Right. But, but I still think, like, that means that... I don't know. How far do we want to get into, like, the second shift? <laughs> like, we don't we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. Um, no, yeah, I, I think it's it's fine to skip that. But, but basically, the, the point being, like, you're right, this isn't a story that necessarily needs to be told anymore. I've seen examples of stories about, like, you don't know how hard I have it that do work. Um, there's uh, this cartoon show called The Amazing World of Gumball that had an episode about that. Um, but in that story, typically the mom is the breadwinner. Mm-hmm. The dad is, uh, you know, a stay-at-home dad, and the kids are the ones switching roles with their parents um, to not understand, you know, how hard yeah. the, each of them have it. Yeah, which is, you know, kind of an interesting. I think uh, that would have been a it. much more interesting movie. <laughs> What if the kids, like, have to go out and be superheroes while the the parents stay at home? Yeah, fuck, it's Spy Kids all over again. But, like, God, let's just make the incredible Spy Kids. Like, I'm down. Violet's, like, halfway there already. They both have really good spy spy powers. It's true. Um, But then we gotta bring in Ricardo Maltoban. Because he's the most important part of the (laughs) second and third one. I mean, I wouldn't complain. Shit, yeah. I, I guess I was talking about, you know, character arcs for the individual characters. Um, like, Dash has a character arc that's pretty simple in the first one. It only yeah. is covered by, like, two or three scenes. But it works. Um, it works incredibly and well. He's a kid who needs an outlet for his powers. And he uses pranks as an outlet as of right now because he likes showing off. Mm-hmm. And he wants to go out for sports, but he can't. And then in the end, he learns to be responsible enough and less of a show-off enough that he can go out for sports. Right. Um, totally. Uh, he has nothing in the second movie. He gets a cart. <laughs> They're trying to do something with the idea that he, like, is copying people. Like, he he uses his dad's catchphrases and says things and then says, like, oh, it was just something I heard on TV. So maybe they're trying to get off of the idea of, like, he's an impressionable youth. I don't know. Like, I, I can't track any sort of character arc for him in 2, personally. Yeah, and, and Violet, of course, has a character arc. It's just <laughs> stupid and terrible. Yeah. Um... I mean, you, you, we were talking about for the Spider-Man episode how you don't like amnesia. Um, this is, no. like, really bad amnesia where it literally <laughs> just retcons character development so that we can just, just do it again. Yeah. And that's how the movie starts, is with a retcon. Mm-hmm. Retconning the like, entire character, too. Like, it's a different character design. Well, okay, but he looked awful in the first he movie. Did. He's got like these buck teeth and like he's like, who would want to date this guy? 
Violet, but, like, the whole clearly. thing is, like, we're supposed to care about that relationship, but, like, literally Tony Reidinger doesn't matter. No. At all. Not at all. He's completely irrelevant to anything that's happening. And it's and just... It's, like, in the first movie, that's okay, because it is about Violet. It's about Violet learning to not be invisible anymore. Right. But in the second one, it's just like... Oh, this boy got mind controlled, and now you're mad at him. Because he forgot. It's like about her being awkward. Yeah. I, guess? I don't know. I mean, I think it, it it gave birth to like the the dad messing up at parenting scene where it takes her to the restaurant and she snarfs out right. the water. Um, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that in the first movie, everyone did have their own arcs, but like, of course, Bob had the main arc. Yeah. And then in this movie, no one has an arc except Bob, and Bob's arc doesn't resolve. And doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, right. it just sort of happens. Um, I don't know. Do the villains have an arc in this? Like, is is it... <sighs> well, I mean, obviously, you know, um, they, they, there's a very similar kind of, like, origin story, like... Uh, something bad happened to me when I was younger, and so now I blame superheroes for it. Yeah. Which is the same in both movies. Sure. Um, one of the things that I think is a problem with the second movie is that they're trying to do, like, a, like a, you're supposed to think it's that it's Winston, but it's actually Evelyn yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. They definitely are. And it doesn't, it doesn't like, work. No. I, I mean, I have no investment in either character. No. So... It doesn't really matter to me which one of them ends up being a villain. You know it's going to be one of them. Right. <coughs> I, I um, think... Because, like, there's, like, a scene where, like, Winston is, like, I strongly disagree, and mm-hmm. it echoes, and you're supposed to be, like, oh, he's secretly bad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Also, I think... there's, like, they're, like, playing up how he benefits from the fact that big crimes are happening. Like, his company gets better results when more crime happens. Mm-hmm. So, like, th- there's they're making a comment on that because he's like, it's a superhero's playground. And, like, Elastigirl's constantly just going, like, it's kind of weird that we're, like, waiting for crimes to happen, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I guess he's a good guy still. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't really... Um, like, they sort of throw, like, lip service at this at the end, where Helen's like, your sister's going to jail, you know? And Violet's like, well, they're rich, so I'm sure she'll serve the minimum crime sentence and, like, be out in a year. Like, <laughs> like they're trying to, like, throw lip service at big business, but it doesn't really work, and it doesn't fit with the themes and, like, actions of the rest well, of I the mean, movie. Well, I mean, it seems like... It seems like it's a theme that uh, Brad Bird doesn't really believe. Like, based on everything I know about him, he loves brilliant genius inventors. Mm. That's why he made Tomorrowland. He <laughs> loves, you know, stories about, like, incredible businesses that are really successful. That's, like, part of Ratatouille. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he 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 loves those, like, really amazing special theory. people. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's extremely into it. So that's why I'm going to constantly refer to him as Brad Bird, the maker of this movie. <laughs> Because that's what he wants me to say. Okay. You're just indulging him. Of course, yeah. I mean, like, honestly, his, like, overt hatred of critics is, like, well cataloged. Um, And the more that he makes stories about that, the more I'm going to look at him and be like, hey, you know, maybe you could talk about something other than the haters. (laughs) But uh, it seems like he really doesn't like people who watch his own movies. (laughs) 
man. You know? I mean, do you think that has an effect at all on Incredibles 2? Like... Yeah, well, I mean, like, the whole monologue with uh, the screenslaver is about how people just passively watch things rather than do things. Uh, see, and in his mind, he's doing things because he's an artist. So, like, he seems to kind of hate his viewers. Yes, that's... Okay, that's another thing about this movie that, like, bugs me. And that bugs me about, like, media in general that's, like, watching TV is the worst and you're all slaves to the screen. Like, all that shit. It's, like, you can't say that in this medium. Like, do you want people to watch your movie or not, you know? Like, well, he's supposed to be, like, kind of critical of it because also superheroes can inspire people to do good, mm-hmm. which is what happens with Winston, but he seems to kind of, yeah, give credence to the idea that, like, people who just view things and don't act on them, um, or people who make media that doesn't inspire people, are, like, it's committing some kind of sin. Right. Pointless and worthless. And, like, I don't know. Like, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, okay, I sort of see where you're coming from. Like, it's, it can be better to do than sit, but... Like, sometimes you gotta sit, (laughs) you know? Well, I mean, the way that I think about it more so is just that, like, the stories that we tell say a lot about us. The things that we consume help shape us, whether Mm -hmm. we do it consciously or not. Sure. I think that it's probably better to do it consciously, but no matter what, you're getting what you're getting. Right. And, like, I think when you think about sort of the subconscious effect of watching a movie like Incredibles 2, I think what people see is all the major players in this story, like, globally are women and the only people who have to change in this movie is the man who is full of ego Mm -hmm. so like on that level i think that is getting to people and that's why people sort of point to this movie as like empowering yeah whereas there's nothing really empowering about it like inherently no it's just that there's like Elastigirl says hi to a a woman ambassador. She has a chat with a female supervillain who is super, you know, um, crazy genius inventor. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, in in the crowd of people cheering for Elastigirl, there's, like, a little girl holding a sign. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like that... That that imagery, it's going to hit people on a subconscious level. Yeah. I I mean, like... It just feels so empty, though. Like, that was my thing. It's like, I saw what they were going for. I agree. I agree 100%. You know? Like, I I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Yay. Women. <laughs> it's it's always like Right, the, but that's the, really all you can say because Helen doesn't have an arc. Yeah. So there's no story about her overcoming prejudice at her being a woman superhero. Exactly. Because that's not what it's about. It's about a story where... All the women are praised 100% for all the work that they do, and they're rewarded 100%. And maybe that's important, too, or maybe it's not important. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so I think that's, like, an interesting thing to bring up because, like, Mary Sue's, especially in, like, superheroes or super-powered, like, stories, is, is Mm. is something that a lot of people like to poke at. Um, you know, like, Rey in Star Wars is Mary Sue. Like, she didn't train right, her. but Rey has so a like, character arc, oh, which exactly. is why I like Rey. Exactly. And I just don't like Helen in this movie because she doesn't have an arc. I, I would agree 100%. Um, I, but other people don't care as much about arcs, and I, I, don't, I don't know if that's necessarily, like, wrong. Like, is that, I mean, like, they just don't have the same values that I do in storytelling. I, I don't 
know. Like, I, I can't say if it's wrong or right, but, like, I will say it's definitely something... I, I feel like a lot of movies these days are really not cutting it arc-wise. Um, and I, I wasn't sure why I kept leaving movie theaters feeling so empty. Um, and just sort of like, that was fun, I guess. I don't, I don't really understand why it was important, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, arcs are good for that. Cause the way that our brains work is we sort of have this function of like, you know, what was the point of that story? What was the beginning, middle and end? Right. And we think about that as how was the character in the beginning? What changed them, and how did were they different at the end? Right. And in this movie, they're literally exactly the same at the beginning and the end. Like, <laughs> the scenes are practically identical. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, yeah, I think it's just a really basic unit of storytelling. You know, like the very hungry caterpillar. Like he starts out <laughs> as a really hungry caterpillar, and he ends as a very full butterfly. You know. Like, yes. he grew and changed, literally. Um, but I think a lot of stories now, maybe they're less interested in, like, you know, the butterfly as in, ex- as except, like, okay, well, the important thing is that children need to see that it's okay to be a caterpillar. And so we need, like, representation. But I, I feel so, like... So, like, in this movie, there's, like... Representation... The, the, the other superheroes... No, go ahead. Oh, yeah, there's the other superheroes, which are sort of, like, supposed to represent, like, LGBT characters. Because mm. um, there's, like, they were talking about how they felt, like, outcasts. And they had to hide and their powers. They, like, right, and there's this one line that's, like, really on the nose, but I, I actually think it's a good line. It's, like, um, they all have, you know, costumes and names they gave themselves. Mm-hmm. And, like, the idea, like, of giving yourself a name, that feels very... Um, trans to me Uh, but also you know like it's just sort of like you know they're not defined by how society sees them um they're trying to change those rights and like void in particular is sort of characterized as this she she almost feels like a millennial because of just how like awkward socially she is right um and how like fan crazy she's just like a fangirl for elastigirl um yeah she has an arc. She learns how to portal slightly better. I guess. Um, She's like, make a shoot, make a shoot, make a shoot. And then she like makes a portal and like, she doesn't die. And I guess that's an arc. I guess. Yeah. No one really has an arc in this. I I mean, that's, that's what I, I was trying to say earlier is just that like representation without any like real meat to back it up just feels really empty and like then I start to understand why people like complain about shit you know because like you have to like you know right does that make sense but the thing is they I I find that they never complain about movies like this where it is really just lip service they always complain about movies like Star Wars where like there's a very clear and well-defined character arc but it's just like they feel ownership over Star Wars so you can't put you can't put the ladies in there unless you have a really good reason. Sure. Um, and I'm like, the, the reason is that it's a good story. Yeah. Why is it, why is it just got to be a dude with a good story? But, but, like, I think that's what I mean when I'm saying that. Is like, 
don't half-ass the movies that you're putting women in the leading roles of and then say, look at this great representation, you know? It's like, no, you half-assed it. Like, we deserve better, you know? You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. I, I, at least that's my take on it. Um, I, I totally agree. Um, I was thinking about, like, your criticism of the, the first movie that, like, it's just, like, deception-based storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the real guilty party for that is Incredibles 2, where, like, Bob lies to Helen for no reason that's true. whatsoever. Exactly. Okay, that's another thing. I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> Um, because this was definitely something where I was like, this could have made an arc happen. Um, but like, because Bob keeps lying about it, it doesn't literally up until the end of the movie and never tells the truth. Exactly. It, It gives Helen, this would have given Helen an arc. Like, you know, they sort of like pay lip service to the fact that she is like, oh, I'm scared to like leave you home alone with the kids. Like, what if you need me? But like, she doesn't then actually like follow up and like, she's not constantly checking in and being like overbearing. She's not um, like not giving. No, she's bump. happy doing what she's doing. Exactly. So if, if they had just had her check in more, even or like had Bob tell her like, hey, Helen, um, I'm like really struggling. And then her being like, yeah, yeah, yeah deal with it later. or so, You know, like just like having them. No, yeah. If she more. like if he like called her and like maybe the resolution of his arc is him, be, him admitting weakness by saying, listen, Helen, you know, I thought this would be easy, but it's not. I need your help on this. Exactly. And then maybe she's about to give him advice, but then she gets distracted by something and that would add to her arc. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like. That's, like, all of this is, like, conflict, but there's just none of that in this movie. It's just, like, I'm lying because it makes it makes it easier for me to suffer. <laughs> right. Well, and it's just, like, that's, I think, part of the problem and why the movie feels so segmented and, like, why we don't have a lot of that dual action going on is because the two, like, Bob storyline and Helen storylines are interacting so infrequently. Like, there's the one scene during the monorail chase where, like, Dash calls her while she's on the bike. Um, he's like, where are my sneakers? I can't find them. And he's like, don't call yeah. your mother. But, like, that's about the extent of it, the entire movie, which seems a little yeah. crazy. I mean, it's just, you think about the first movie and, like, what are the consequences for Bob lying? Um, he has to experience the pain of losing his entire family mm-hmm. when they get hit by a missile. Because, <laughs> yeah. literally, they wouldn't be flying there and, like, calling them on the radio mm-hmm. if uh, if he had just told them the truth that he's going on a dangerous mission for some shady guys. Right. What are the consequences for Bob lying? In the second movie, he loses Nothing. some sleep. <clears throat> and then, like... He's, everyone saves the day. Yeah, he fine. figures out how to be a dad. Thanks to yeah. Edna. I don't know. Like, I feel like we were going to get to this point eventually, but I feel like I'm just going to jump into it. Yeah. Um, the climax on the boat. Um, there's a climax on a boat where the the tension is the boat is going to crash into the city. Yeah. You know how all those, like, terrorist boat attacks? Mm-hmm. The famous, so many. like... Boats trying to crash into <laughs> to be like fair, land buildings. That was a pretty deadly looking boat. <laughs> like maybe they hit like one building that's like a little too close to the coast. Yeah. But like 
I mean, like, that could be hit by a hurricane, too, you know? Like, if you build on, like, beachfront property, you know, shit's gonna happen. But he's just, like, a boat. It's a, it's a, it's a it's boat. a boat yeah. attack. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. We gotta turn the boat! There's no steering wheel! No. <laughs> oh, man. By the way, I just don't believe for a second that, like, couldn't... I mean... Don't you believe deep down in your heart that Frozone could just make a ramp to turn the to turn the whole ship? Oh yeah. He makes like a giant tidal wave of snow. I feel like he could just build an ice ramp where like the boat just goes into it and then turns. Mhm. Mhm. Well, also I still think it's kind of bullshit that they can't get into the engine room with Portal Girl when Portal Girl zaps Elastigirl into the fucking plane. You know? What do you mean? Like, what? She makes a portal for her to jump in to... So, like, the the plane with the villain is getting away, Evelyn or whatever. Um, And to go after it, Elastigirl is like, make a portal above the plane or whatever, and I'll jump through and get onto the plane. Um, And she does that. And then the thing that ends up ultimately getting her inside the plane is that she opens a portal to the inside of the plane. And then Helen goes. Yeah, in that I mean, way. like you. I mean, she's like a new superhero. She's like working on her powers. I buy that. Right, like that's but fine. Like, but then why can't she do that with the engine room also? Um, I think she can. She's just otherwise occupied fighting crime. <laughs> okay. I don't remember. It's like uh, yeah, it's just like a hectic, chaotic yeah. scene. But like the thing that I find like really obnoxious about it is just how easy it is to free all the superheroes from the mind control. Yeah. Just like the once screen. we free Elastigirl, it's basically all over. Yep. Just a cascading limit. Whereas, like you know, you compare that to the robot fighting scene, or like the scene where you know Syndrome has Jack Jack mm-hmm. and is like kidnapping him. Like both of those are so high tension because it's like I don't know how they're gonna get out of this, honestly. Right. <laughs> um. But then, and I think it's also really smart the way they do end up getting it. I mean, the Jack-Jack scene is more just, like, deus ex machina luck that they, like, sort of foreshadowed briefly. Um, but, like, with the robot, it's Mr. Incredible is using his past experience, which, like, has been so important to him. And, like, he's like, yeah. oh, yeah, it can pierce itself. Great. And it's teamwork, and they have to trust each mm-hmm. other. You know, she's like, I'm not going to hit the button until we have the exact perfect shot, you know? Yep. And then there's that scene, the go-long scene, which is, like, the perfect, you know, culmination of Dash's character. Yep. And, you know, of course, Violet does some pretty crazy awesome stuff with that shield, yeah. and then it breaks. And then her dad is her shield yeah. as well. Yeah. And he's protecting her. It's like, there's a lot of really good imagery, really strong imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some, some Ayn Rand um, <laughs> Atlas Shrugged imagery, which, like, everyone has pointed out. I mean, yeah. There, there's also the, some Ayn Randy sort of ideologies. Ah, oh, the, the normies are keeping us special people down. I mean, literally, yeah. It's like the villain is, like, someone without the special powers who, you know, thinks that they can just do that, get around it with, like, money mm-hmm. and, you know, just buy their way to, to being special, but they can't because the real special people are the people are who born create... born special. 
Yeah, they're born that way. And then literally the strong man lifts a giant weight mm -hmm. over his head that's shaped like a globe. Yeah. It's Atlas Shrugged. It's, <laughs> it just is. And you just have to kind of accept that. Yeah. That, like, the, the movie is promoting a terrible ideology, but just doing it really well. <laughs> yeah, because they're doing it with the backdrop <laughs> of, like, real family emotional, like, issues, you know? Like... Yeah. Meanwhile, like, it seems like the, the sequel is trying to do this thing where it's, like, um, and, you know, superheroes are an oppressed group, which mm -hmm. is not something that Ayn Rand believes in. And no. because I don't think Brad Bird believes in oppressed groups, I don't think he, like, believes that there are people who, because of prejudice, don't achieve what they could have achieved. Um, like, because he doesn't believe in that, because he believes that everyone can just achieve whatever they want if they try hard enough and be a creative and, you know, take charge of their life. Right. Like... The movie feels totally flat. Well, exactly. And I think that's part of the reason why Elastigirl doesn't have that arc and why that representation, so to speak, feels so flat is because he's like, well, right. if they just she tried harder. She doesn't face harder. any prejudice. She doesn't face any like criticism from the police right. even for, for you know, being a superhero illegally. Like, right. For all of her like hand-wringing about, we can't break the law, literally the, the police never get involved after that first scene. Yeah. Which feels also strange. Well, the first scene that they have, the the police are totally in the right in that the yeah. Incredibles only made things worse <laughs> in every conceivable way. Yeah. <coughs> so it seems like maybe they shouldn't have gotten involved. <laughs> you expect us to just do nothing? Okay, also, wait, one thing, especially watching these two movies back to back... Something that just seems like such a plot contrivance to me is the whole, like, hero program or whatever being shut down like literally Wait, what do you mean that that's a plot convenience i don't even know what that means like when they said that in the movie i was like what the, what do you mean the program is shut exactly. down why exactly i i didn't know what it meant well because it's a plot convenience because it puts them in a position where they don't have anyone else they can rely on and so someone needs to go do the superhero thing with the kind of shady business people or whatever um, but they didn't have that in the first movie either. I mean, superheroes were very illegal in the first movie. Right. Like, the, the what the program seemed like they did is, if you show that you're a superhero, if your secret identity is revealed in public, they can wipe people's memories and relocate you. That seemed like the only thing that they did. Right. Um, but they don't need people to do that in the second movie. They just need a job. Exactly. Well, but, like, at the end of Incredibles 1, Dicker is like, we'll never be able to thank you enough for all that you've done, and you don't have to worry about money ever again. Like, we've got you, basically, is what he's saying at the end of the first movie. And then, oh, right, because, I mean, the first movie was, like, it was just trying to be self-contained. And so, like, they were like, are superheroes legal again? And he's like, we'll leave that to the politicians to decide. But the implication is that, like, given how much of a help they were today, it, they'll, they probably, will be. you know, helped push forward superhero rights a lot. Exactly. And then, so, like, when, in the timeline of events, this is supposed to take place, like, a month or so after, like, the... Like, it picks up right where the last movie left off, but, like, that sports meet or whatever is supposed to be, like, a couple weeks after they've, like, saved everyone, right? Right. Or something like that. So it's been, like, a month. They do one 
thing, and then suddenly the entire national superhero protection program is just, like, shut down. <laughs> like... It's just trying really hard to recreate, like, some things from the last movie. It just don't make any sense. I mean, wouldn't it be better if it was just, like, the movie starts, superheroes are legal now, but now they have to figure out how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're facing, like, a lot of prejudice from people who are like, "Why, why did you bring back the supers? You know, that's no good. And then you have this one villain who says that they'll make all those problems with, you know, prejudice go away, but what they really want to do is stoke that prejudice. Right. Like, that would be a plot. Yeah. But what we have is something a little bit different than that, where superheroes are illegal, and I want to make them even more illegal forever. (laughs) Like, it's kind of the equivalent of, like, you know, if you were living in a state where, like, weed was was illegal, Mm -hmm. but there were, like, people who were protesting in favor of weed being legal. Yeah. And so they were like, I've got it. I'm gonna blow up a meth lab with weed in it. (laughs) Right, I'm gonna gather a bunch of people together and have them advocate for weed really strongly, get it legalized, and then have them framed for murder. Right. That way they'll ban weed again, (laughs) but somehow more this time. Yeah. It doesn't like, make it just a lot doesn't of make sense. any sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, what do you think about the raccoon scene? Do you like raccoon scene? I don't hate it. It's enjoyable. It's just so dumb. It's and bad dumb. And I hate it. Like I don't know. Like it. It's, <laughs> it's clearly just there to be like a f- like it's a short. You know, it's like. But we already had that short. I know. Literally, they already made it. I know. As a short. I know. And it's just like smack dab in the middle of this movie. The only thing it accomplishes plot-wise is revealing to Bob that Jack Jack has powers. That's the other thing about the whole could have been done in a way funnier way. I think the whole Jack Jack has powers thing is that like we the audience knew that since the last movie ten years ago. Right. So it just doesn't feel exciting or interesting to watch these other characters discover that Jack-Jack has powers now, halfway through a movie, you know? I just don't know, like, what the point is supposed to be, like, what, what significance that holds for them in their right. lives. Besides <laughs> it, like, being like, now it's even harder to parent this baby. It's right, just like, I, I mean, like, the fact that he reveals that he has powers, though, doesn't mean anything. No. They, they get, try to give, like, a significance to it. Like, I missed his first powers. Like, it's like missing your child's yeah, first Yeah, but you words. technically missed that in the last movie ten years ago when you were on an island saving your husband, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, I mean, like, is the implication supposed to be that he only reveals his powers because Helen's not there? I don't know. I don't think so. That'd be very strange. Like, I thought the point in the first movie was that he only reveals the powers when the family isn't looking. But in this case, he reveals it when everyone's looking all the time, always. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It this, doesn't. Like, this is the least of the problems. Yeah, it really is. Why, why did Disney release a movie with an epilepsy warning? Why does it have one? What? Yeah, why, why, why would Disney let them make a movie that causes seizures? What, I don't know. What are they trying to do? I don't know. They just didn't want people to see it. They're like, there's no character arcs here. Let's put some up. They're just trying to end. kill children. It's <laughs> awful. That's Disney's true motive. They just want to yeah. murder children. 
What about what about um let's talk about let's talk about Violet's arc besides her being awkward, okay. which is that she renounces superheroes. But for all of ten seconds, and then for no reason other than like mom and dad need us. We'll be yeah. superheroes. It's another it's another ten minute retirement yeah. like we hated so much in Moana. Mm-hmm. You know? It's just it's just like the <laughs> these characters like they'll just flip flop because the plot tells them to. Yeah. You know? Ugh. I can't be a superhero. It's illegal. <laughs> Wait, the plot says I gotta be a superhero? Alright, I'll be All right, a superhero. I guess I'll just break the law and never question it again. <laughs> I renounce superheroes because superheroes made me break up with my boyfriend. Well, I mean, I will say this also about Violet in the first movie is she's like, like they're on the freaking like supervillain island at this point, and like her mom has basically Helen has basically been like, okay, kids, if anyone comes, Violet go invisible dash run, and Violet's like, but you told us never to use our powers. I'm like Violet, honey. It's so far past that. Your sh- your fucking plane was blown up. Like, what what are you doing here? I don't I don't buy the, no. I disagree with this. Why? I, I think Violet's arc makes a ton of sense. I mean, she's the oldest one. She's been like conditioned from birth to constantly keep her powers a secret, and yeah, but now you're on all of a sudden she's being island. expected immediately to like you know, be a superhero, basically. And she's like, well, why, why can't we just, you know, why can't we just, you know, treat this like a normal, like, human problem? And she's like, no, this is this is a superhero problem now. You have to wear a mask. You have to be invisible. You have to create force fields at will. Eh. And, like, that's a crazy amount of pressure to put on somebody. All right, I guess. I don't know. It was just one of those things where I was like, dude... Also, this is the character who's, like, like her primary, her main, like, defining line that establishes her character is, you know, what does this family know about normal? We act normal. I want to be normal. You know, she doesn't want to be a part of this life at the beginning of the movie. And, you know, over the course, she understands the importance of it. Yeah. She also has my favorite line in the the whole movie, which is, um, (laughs) you know... Um, mom and dad's lives could be in danger, or worse, their marriage. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I find that line really funny. Um, is, is that very much like uh, Hermione Granger from the first Harry Potter movie? Yeah. Get your. Prime. I like that line as well. Get could us be killed, killed or worse, expelled. <laughs> Classic. Classic. So good. Man, I I don't know. I just I think like the first movie was trying to tell a story about dual identities mm-hmm. and that and the method they used to tell that story was superheroes. And then the second movie is trying to tell a story about superheroes and the method that they used for that is like slapstick. <laughs> okay. Like am I wrong? Like it seems like that's <laughs> what happened. Like, in the first movie, you have the dinner scene, which is just this iconic, like, dinner scene um, where Bob, you know, cuts the plate in half with the table and Helen and Bob are arguing about, like, what their kids should be doing. 
And then, you know, the kids are fighting with their powers. The mom is, like, all stretched out trying to stop them from using their powers. And the dad comes in and, like, he's got strength, but he doesn't know what to do with it. So he just picks up the table. (laughs) And it's, like, a perfect symbol of everything that's dysfunctional about this family. Sure. And then in, like, the second movie, there's, like, another dinner scene. And it's, like, we're eating Chinese food and arguing about politics. Yeah. And about who washed their hands or not. It's just, I think it shows an in, an interesting contrast in what the goals of each of the movies are. Because the, there's no subtext anywhere in Incredibles 2 other than the subtext of, like, look, there's some women, look, there's some LGBT character stand-ins. You know, that's something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, like, I think you're right. <laughs> Um, but, you know, tell us what you think. I know that there's so many people who love Incredibles 2, and they'll say things like, but it's just so much fun, you know? You gotta just have fun with it. I mean, I... I don't. (laughs) In their defense, I will say, like, it's an enjoyable way to spend an evening. Just, like, there are worse things you could watch. I I agree with that. I mean, you might call me a hypocrite because I liked Venom so much, (laughs) and that movie... Obviously doesn't have any complete character arcs. No. But that's because it's just straight up, like, power fantasy wish fulfillment. Whereas this movie is, like, I I don't know. Is the wish fulfillment supposed to be, like, just having superpowers at all? Because they don't do anything that, like, resolves, like, their true desires in life. They don't, like, you know, feel weakness and then get to punch through a wall. They just, like, you know, they experience normal everyday problems that all of us have to deal with. And then in the end, they turn a boat. (laughs) Yeah. Is that fun for people? Is it fun to, like, explode a raccoon? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is fun. Um, But is it enough, I think, is the question. No. And I think... It's never enough for me. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think also for you, part of it has got to be your love for Incredibles. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm blinded a little bit by the first one, but, I mean, you know the things that I care about. Does anybody really think that, like, the character arcs in Incredibles 2 are enough for it to stand on its own without comparisons to the original? Like, uh, I don't think so. Or, or if there are, yeah. tell us. Like, tweet at us at Talking Tropes and, right. like, I mean, like, the movie, the movie wants me to compare it to Incredibles 1, which is why they have that scene where, like, you know, um, Frozone is, like... You know, I'll be back ASAP. And then, or like, I gotta go ASAP. And then, you know, she's like, where are you going ASAP? You better be back ASAP. Uh And I'm like, that's not a funny line. I have to compare that because the only reason that that scene would ever exist in a movie is because of the where is my super suit scene. Mm -hmm. Which is the greatest scene. (laughs) It really is. It's the best scene in that entire movie and it's a pretty darn good movie um (sighs) yeah so yeah let us know your thoughts are we crazy do you agree with us do you hate us what's your fixes for incredibles 2 um again you can tweet at us at talking tropes yeah and you can also subscribe to us we're available on any RSS feed or wherever uh, podcasts are, are sold or, you know, consumed. <laughs> found. Um, found. And uh, we're on soundcloud.com slash talking tropes if you want to subscribe there. 
Yeah. Um, next week, we're going to be talking about romance. Uh, yeah, happy our... Valentine's Day, everybody. I know we're, we're catching you before Valentine's Day. We'll see you, we'll see you after Valentine's Day for a little romance, a little love triangles. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.